Hi everyone, welcome to Type Talks. Today we have the Get Things Going interaction style. The Get Things Going interaction style is four types. It's the ENTP, ESFP, ESFJ, and ENFP. On this series, I will invite my classmates from Linda Barron's, her online class, and we will explore these interaction styles in more depth. Before we get started, I wanted to give an overview of the Get Things Going interaction style. So people with Get Things Going, they have a drive to get an embraced result. And so they're really good at facilitating the process and then inspiring others towards action. They are really great at interacting with an expressive type of stance. And they're great at bringing an enthusiasm, excitement, upbeatness that is super energetic and contagious with some of them. They're good at exploring opportunities and possibilities, sharing their ideas and insights, get things moving along with people. And they are very enthusiastic as well as participative. And their goal is to get people engaged and involved. And so there are three aspects to the get things going interaction style. The first is that they have an informative communication. They seek input, they evoke, and draw forth. And another facet of Get Things Going is that they have an initiating style. So this means that they tend to interact and reach out with the external world first, and they tend to initiate. And the third quality of the Get Things Going interaction style is that they are process-based. People with Get Things Going are really good at the forward momentum of something. Get Things Going people are very good at getting the energy level up for an idea or for a endeavor and having that process that is contagious, making the beginning fun or exciting right. or getting excited about the beginning, getting that type of interaction and feedback with people through the process. And so now that we have the general overview out of the way, let's get started with the panel. And so, Michael, would you like to tell us a bit about you? My name is Michael Connolly. I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, I have had a, a few careers um, in HR and in training and in uh, strategic planning for small, uh, for community-based and social justice uh, nonprofits. Right now, I'm working, uh, I do a couple of things. I lead meditations at a local university for staff and faculty a couple days a week. I also uh, have a colleague with whom I design workshops on topics like resilience um, and uh, creativity, which I've been working with for a long time. And let's see, and I've been working with type for, let's see, since the early 1990s. I forgot how many years that is. Um, but that means that I'm over 30. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And Brady? Hello, everyone. I'm Brady. You may have seen me here before. Um, so I am a dad and a husband. I have two kids who crack me up. Um, and that really gets my get things going uh, fed quite a bit. So I'm always on my toes. Um, I Let's see something about me. I like to write. Um, I'm currently working with Joyce on a project that involves that passion of mine, which is a lot of fun. And um, I love sports. 
and anything fantasy adventure. We're writing something, guys. Keep your and, eyes out. And Chuck? My name is Chuck Walker. I live in um, Daphne, Alabama. I'm retired Air Force in public affairs. I now work for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in public affairs in the Mobile District, Alabama. I'm, me and my wife have been married for 24 years. I have three kids. Um, I have a special needs daughter who is um, 22. And then I have the middle daughter who graduates from high school this year and another and my son who is a sophomore in high school. Um, I love everything to do with public affairs. I, I'm a photographer by, by trade, photography and videography. And I taught photography for a while when I was in the Air Force at the Defense Information School at Fort Meade. So Photography, sports, all that are passions. Go Hills, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> so that's me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's interesting to see an ESFJ with an armed forces background. It really flavors things in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. um, it brings a unique perspective. And Carol? I'm Carol Linden. I'm sitting right here in my study home office in Durham, North Carolina. I'm from Alabama, so I think it's hysterical that yeah, that's funny. in Alabama wearing a Tar Heels Carolina jacket. <laughs> well, look, has going on here. Uh, I have been doing, I've been learning about psychological types for like 30 something years. I started doing it professionally uh, 20, almost exactly 20, well, 19 years ago, started doing it professionally. I migrated from tech writing and leading cross-functional teams and managing Department of Technical Writers into leadership and development job where I coached coach managers and coach teams, taught Myers-Briggs, interaction styles, temperament. I would go in and do team interactions when people were ready to strangle each other. Not that I hung out my shingle saying I was doing that, but when a senior director's admin calls you and tells you there's a team that's about to strangle each other and you're going to meet with them at 8 a.m. on Thursday, you really can't say no to that person. But it turns out the things we know about can be incredibly useful when people about had it with each other. So I do this for a living. I love it. Um, I, I teach adults how to play well with others. I met Joyce and Michael in Linda Barron's class, and I meet additional interesting people through joy so i'm very glad to be here yay we're lucky to have you carol oh yeah chuck i just wanted to tell carol that um i'm from gibsonville north carolina and my wife's from burlington north carolina and i was telling you about is from gibsonville as well so that's where the carolina comes from that is too funny <laughs> we swapped states <laughs> my father was stationed three times at fort meade and uh, when we were there, I've lived there twice. He worked for NSA. I was born in DC, although I'm a New Englander and, and have lived here most of my life. Awesome. That's awesome because I had friends that worked at NSA and then um, my son was born at um, Bethesda Naval Hospital when I was stationed at Fort Meade. So that was awesome. Small observation. You've just watched us start getting things going. <laughs> <laughs> This is exactly how it works. <laughs> right? Getting things going in action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so my first question for everyone is, 
how would you define get things going in your own words? For me, I would say on a positive side, it's enthusiasm. So I'm definitely the encourager. Um, on a negative side, it's impatience. It's wanting things now, wanting to really get things going when people are dawdling. Um, so it can be both a blessing and a curse. Especially if you are an ESFP with extroverted sensing high up, you're going to be even uh -huh. more impatient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's both a feature and a flaw. For me to be able to get things going, I first need to know what we're doing. So, <laughs> so I have to know what it is, and then I can set the goals. I hate being given stuff cold and saying, hey, go with it. You know, I need to know what the what end result are we going for? And then that way I can formulate a plan and then we can go and we can attack it and we can give each other different roles that coincides with their strengths. So everybody feels that they're a part of it and everybody can contribute and nobody feels like they're being left in the dark. I wonder if the ESFJ might be the odd duck out of the Get Things Going crew because they're an SJ type as well. So they yeah. don't like being given something completely new with no anchor to past experience or something that they actually know mm -hmm. of. And so they do have that get things going energy and they have this vibrant upbeatness, but they sometimes might want something to anchor their SI in. Mm -hmm. So that's a slight difference you'll see with the ESFJ because of the stabilizer essential motivator, which we'll talk about later as well. Well, I, I think Chuck's got a good idea there though, because I come from the intuitive side of the, of the uh, park here. And I naturally think I know what we're doing and what it's going to look at. And guess what, Chuck? I don't always know, but I think I know because <laughs> I've intuited it. And I'm ready to jump in and get going because mm -hmm. I just think I've intuited the whole thing. So if I had Chuck in the room, he would be helping me get some more specific set up front. Now, I do agree with everything he said about wanting everyone to feel engaged and committed and like they're on board and we're in this together and everybody's opinions are respected. I'm, it, I do mm -hmm. think this wanting just so much wanting other people to feel engaged. That yes. expression Linda uses to want people to want to, I think we've all got that want people to want to. Where, mm -hmm. and, and I like what Chuck's uh, different temperament brings in that he's going to want us to define a few things up front. And I'm not like jumping. Okay, I don't think I'm jumping in the middle, but let's face it, Chuck. I'm intuiting the whole thing. So, so yeah, <laughs> I love that piece you added, Chuck. I do yeah. think that wanting everybody to want to is essential. I ended up leading cross-functional teams and I say ended up because I kind of fell into my perfect role in a tech writing department. I was a writer and then I wrote on other people's books and then I got my own books to write. And then I started leading cross-functional teams that required communication with like six different divisions across the company and other writing groups weren't doing that. And I just fell into looking hindsight, right? I see my 
essence was coming out and it seemed natural to me to do this outreach reach stuff and to want everybody to want to and i still contend that it's not just about wanting people to want to you have a better product in the end when people want to and are signed on and engaged but let's face it i really really want people to want to yeah <laughs> and because get things going is really good at raising the morale or making the morale feel really good sometimes when the room goes silent they will sometimes feel uncomfortable and want to kind of talk so they they may want to so especially with the the f or the fp types they might have that urge to like maybe if everything's quiet no one's talking to be that that kind of enthusiasm that makes people feel good in the room and so 100 kind of, yeah we're like the glue. We're like we're like the unseen bonding that's that we're that we really want to happen. So it, Chuck's laughing at me, but it's <laughs> like this, it's like this this uh, super glue, invisible super glue stuff's going out, and we're reaching out and we're creating tethers and and connections with other people, and we just want everybody to want to. I really like the way you just said that. I agree with that. I would. Mm -hmm. So I've done a fair amount of team building, and I like things that are starting. I've done uh, board development um, with small boards that were young, maybe not the first year. I don't like being there at the absolute beginning of things. I want there to be enough going on that it needs some structure and shaping and someone who can help people focus and move ahead. In the absolute beginning, it's a little too chaotic for me. I don't know. I don't have the right in instincts to help those groups. Um, that said, I've often been the second person in a job uh, and occasionally the first. And something, whoa, so I know what I was going to say. Uh, when I was helping a, a group here that works with um, handicapped families um, on art, art that involves both uh, the kids who have a um, developmental challenge and their family members work together, families creating together is the name of the organization um they had never had a board and they part of the way i want to i like to give people a context they help they have to see the context that they're operating in that may be their environment and their stakeholders usually um, that's important but your stakeholders may be internal if you're in a larger organization and you're a new team or department but i like people getting a sense of their environment um and provoking, uh, sort of asking them to talk about the future as it has already been defined for them by somebody who set some direction or the people that they're serving. And at the same time, going inside and aligning things with their values and their past experience. So I think of myself as sort of weaving a little bit and maybe also a little bit of Pied Piper. I've done lots of retreats and there tends to be, I try to keep them sort of multi-dimensional, like having people do something with their hands, maybe, not just talking. I can talk forever, and I love people who tell stories, and I try to get people to tell stories, but I think people need many modalities in order to connect as a group. And you have to sort of surprise people. They think you're going to be over here doing this, so I want to make sure that some of what I'm doing as their facilitator, if I'm in a facilitative role, is a little bit of um, 
they experience some kind of novelty, like seeing things from a different angle. That's, I think, pretty important to my process. And oftentimes that's happening to me at the same time. I'm not, um, I'm not a puppeteer orchestrating everything. I'm sort of in the middle. Actually, I remember early on at one point, I got a cat in the hat hat and um, had that for a retreat I was doing because uh, when everyone was really busy and doing various tax, tasks, the room looked a little bit of a mess. Like there was charts all over the walls and toys and stuff that people were using. And I do remember being fascinated by the cat in the hat who comes into this <laughs> house and turns everything upside down, but actually it all turns out well in the end. Mm -hmm. There seems to be this talent with having an instinct of knowing how to keep people engaged when they're learning. So making the learning process fun. Funtertainment is probably the term for these people in this type because they offer both fun and entertainment and education. So education. <laughs> I'm not sure if I did that right. <laughs> no, it, it flowed beautifully. Good job. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And Michael mentioned something very notable. He said that he's not the puppeteer. And I've actually filmed the behind the scenes panel already. And what behind the scenes and get things going share in common is an informing interaction style. So I realized they both said the phrase, I'm not a puppeteer. <laughs> and I'm that makes me wonder if people with a directive communication style, the in charge and the chart the course, are the puppeteers. And so that would be my hypothesis. I, I love puppets and marionettes and puppet shows, but I was using the term as a pejorative and I and it can be used that way. So my guess is they will use a different term that has something to do with more like a conductor, maybe yes. something yeah. like that. Or a coach, like a coach or a guide. Yeah, there is a conductor element to directive types, the in charge and the chart the course. And so any other things you'd like to add to the general get things going overview? Yeah, I think I'd want to just kind of add to being encouraging. And maybe this is maybe not true for everyone in this group. I, I couldn't say that. You know, definitely leading by leading by enthusiasm, leading by encouragement that putting words and actions together. So it's not just words, it's not just actions, but it's both in tandem at the same time, driving things along so that people want to get on board. You know, they want to get on the train. And I think that um, that's something for me when I think about the Get Things Going group that that I see when I think about people in my life who are the various types. And I've been lucky enough to have people of these various types in my life. And that's something that I've certainly noticed. I second that, second that emotion, Brady. Uh, and I'd also like to add, I think our get things going process doesn't look, shall we say, as neat as maybe <laughs> a chart, a course person's process. I used to make the joke when I taught, my mother has eyes, TJ preferences, which is chart the course. And I'd make the joke that my mother, my mother's ducks would never, ever dare to get out of the row. Her ducks mm -hmm. always marched in a row. And I was not given ducks at birth. I was given drunk squirrels. And <laughs> I spend my life getting the drunk squirrels. 
story. I had a manager who was chart the course. INTJ Previns is chart the course. And he said to me once in review, he said, you know, Carol, he said, your team um, meets their deadlines. They do excellent quality work. He said, and they and they all seem to have a good time doing it. And he said, I have no idea how you pull it off, but you do seem to be able to pull it off. So that's why I leave you alone. And guys, I was lucky that I worked for an open-minded chart the course guy because mm -hmm. I was so proud of myself, all the chart, the freaking coursing I was doing to make doc. I mean, I ran 18 month long documentation projects. Okay. I really can chart the course, but guess what? His feedback told me it was never going to look as neat as his chart the course. Mm -hmm. So if you're in, depending on the environment you're in, you may have to take into account. I mean, I'm lucky, you know, other managers would have shut me down, but his attitude was, I don't know how she does it, but it works. So I'm going to leave her alone. So <laughs> for young yeah. chart, the courses out there, guys, with, you know, sometimes what something looks like matters as much as what you accomplish or instead of, and I'm lucky I worked for somebody who the fact that I could do it was enough for him. And he was willing to be hands off on the how, because trust me, it's not as neat looking from the outside as other types. One of my close colleagues, INFP, so that wouldn't, that's behind the scenes, I believe. Uh, we work together a lot and we often think in cartoons, but there's a Larson cartoon called Everything Looks Like a Mess in the Middle. And it's this couple and it says, and I, now I can't describe the cartoon that well, but they're in the middle of nowhere. Right. And the we're we're used to in designing and planning things that every group and every project has a point in the middle when you think, yeah. what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> and, um, and that's still true after 30 years of doing this because we bite off more than we can chew often. Yeah. Well, a little bit. So I wanted to mention that about being comfortable with messes in the middle, more or less. Mm -hmm. um, but also. I noticed many, many years ago that it's much easier for me to start things than to wrap them up. And um, and that's, as tr that's true on a really simple level. Like I was an independent contractor for, many, for a number of years and um, I would be late sending in my invoices because once the project was right. done, I was sort of, and paperwork. <laughs> and, I'm really lucky at Boston College where I work because I'm, I'm a contractor there, but it's a very personal environment. So I'm sending my piece of paper. I'm not sending it to an office. I'm sending it to a person that I really like. And, but my partner gave me advice years ago. He said, maybe when you're excited at the beginning of the project and you've agreed whether you're gonna invoice them monthly or whatever, maybe you should write up all your invoices then and just sort of fill in the date. And, I didn't exactly do that, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I get close to that, and I I do get my invoices in now on time, whereas in years before. It, so anyway, the point was just that get things going until I could turn the wrap up process itself into a thing, and I and I have to say that's still a problem. Putting away the supplies oh, that's really difficult. Michael, I, about being comfortable with a mess in the middle. I think because I kind of live at the gestalt level, 
that I may not recognize the mess in the middle as mess. I'm thinking <laughs> other people looking from the outside in think it's a mess. And I'm just thinking this is this wonderful adventure we're on together. And it's not a mess. We're just all in this and we're enjoying it. And we're going to have a great product because <laughs> we're all committed to having a great product. I wanted a usable I know this may sound boring to people, but I actually wrote computer software documentation for 19 years. I either wrote it or led teams, which sounds horribly boring. But what, what I want to add to this is it was you're doing a book, right? And you've got a software ship date. So there are hard deadlines that don't move, right? So I, I know I can do that kind of thing. But I remember thinking at one point, Michael, I was thinking before I got my second career, which is the love of my life, I was thinking about leaving tech writing and being a consultant. And I remember I didn't quite understand why I felt this way, but I thought, I'm not sure how I would structure my day if I were all on my own. I worked in an area that there was a structure with writers and editors and reviewers and going to press. And within that structure, I got to be incredibly creative because I was writing this stuff from scratch. So I think that was a perfect career at that point in my life. There was the structure given by the outside but within that structure, I had enough freedom to be creative that I was okay. I didn't feel controlled. It's like they added the perfect amount of structure and I got to be creative within it without feeling controlled. I just wonder if anybody else had that kind of experience. Um, I work for the federal government. And so, yes, <laughs> I, <laughs> I get what you're saying. And actually, it is kind of nice. I will say that I have the structure built in. And so I don't have to worry about the self-starting or, you know, finishing everything because I pass things along. You know, I finish my stuff and I pass along. I don't have to wrap it up, you know, a pretty little bow. Um, so it works quite nicely. So I, I'm right there with you. Uh, but I was a teacher in a previous life. And um, for those four years, it felt like a previous life because it was so much not my strength. I had to finish everything. And that was really challenging for me. Um, I just wanted to exist in the moment with everybody. I didn't want to have right. to. Um, I didn't want to have to come up with the conclusions and be telling people what to do. I just wanted to to be silly, to play, to make them realize that they were cared for and um, learn something. And that was it. But yeah, it's nice to have structure. And then you just you just do your part and move on. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now, now for the ESFJ. And <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is part ESFJ and part the military person coming out of me. I've always been brought up. It ain't done till it's done type of thing. And until you and from years of working on newspaper as a sports writer, working on newspapers, being in the military, working in public affairs, we always we always have products that have to be done that day on dead. And I had deadlines for newspapers. A project not being finished would just drive me bonkers <laughs> for me personally. My projects were 18 months long, Chuck. Talk about set. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. See, I would not like that. <laughs> smaller stuff too, like like Michael. I'll do a workshop for somebody, and that's a hard deadline, and that's that is a more concise thing. But maybe it my type of get things going helped me 
because I was on an 18 month old adventure with these people I cared about and wanted to want to, I wanted them to want to be in my canoe so badly. Okay. You know that you, you want them to want to be in your canoe and be having a good time in the canoe um, on your trip together. But yeah, I had to, and even Chuck, when the book was done and shipped, tech writers had a punch list. We had a list of all the things we knew we had to expand, add more to in the next edition. So even when it shipped, Chuck, it wasn't done because I had a punch list for the next one. Chuck, that might have driven you nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's like um, I remember back when I first started um, right out of college, I got a job at the Burlington Times News in Burlington, North Carolina. What a hoot. <laughs> as, a sports, as a sports writer. And I was covering high school football on Friday nights. Games get over at, at 10 ish, 10 15, deadlines at midnight. So, oh, wow. depending on where in Alamance County I was, yeah. drive back to the newspaper, type the story, type the box score, and then, oh, by the way, you have to do these little um, side notes for Sunday's paper with little tidbits about your game all on deadline. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd have been brain dead by that time. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And it's not like you could just email it. It's not like no, in your car no. you could type it in and just send it. Not back it. then. <laughs> Brady's young enough. He would have just been sending it on his phone. No. You know, <laughs> I, I just turned 40. So, uh, no, I've. I grew up learning how to, to use a typewriter. I'm oh not out of goodness. that generation entirely. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I know, the, I know the challenges. <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing a theme with the get things going or with informative types in general, plus initiating types. When someone has both the combination of initiating and informative, it just goes on an off tangent conversation because they'll initiate and they'll also be informative, not really needing to stick to a certain point. So we'll end up talking about back in the day, we had typewriters. <laughs> and still, I'm, I have become very good at figuring out, this is mainly in personal conversations, when we suddenly go, where were we? That, <laughs> Backtracking through all the branches, and you can find where we were, and we can also recount how we got to where we are. And I think over time you start to say, and this is what we just learned by by going here. I, I don't know if uh, Chuck and Brody do, but I'm quite sure that Carol speaks yeah. in terms of journeys. Yeah. And I do tend to every project I've been on, I look at it as a journey. I wrote a book with a colleague who uh, it was a. He had uh, was my boss who had AIDS, and it was on managing your own health care. And, uh, and it was a funny book. We deliberately made it. Uh, he was a very funny man. And um, with stories and cartoons and about how to survive in the years when there was one treatment for AIDS, and it wasn't that effective. But uh, and so we had an arc about how many chapters we had to write and what was going to be in them in an outline. But other than, so when I said it was, there's a mess in the middle. That's often more other people's perspective. And mine would be more like when you're on a canoe, sometimes the water's flat and sometimes it's choppy and sometimes you're in the rapids. But as long as you're moving ahead and sometimes the shortest distance between two spots is not moving directly ahead. And I think I'm going to 
ask my peers here, that's I'm very comfortable with a digression in our group process if I have a hunch that that rock doesn't need to be dealt with right now. We can go around that and hit that later. Sort of um, massage process. I would say that I think this might be the uh, fundamental difference between intuitive and sensing types because I see a rock and I'm like, oh my God, we're going to hit the rock. And I want to not hit the rock. So, um, you know, but I've also, maybe it's the intro, you know, extroverted sensing. I've seen that rock. You know, I knew it was coming and I trust myself to get away from it. But um, no, I don't tend to think of journeys. I tend to think of right now, like, what am I doing right now? Um, and I bet I am probably alone in that in this group. <laughs> um, you know, the extroverted sensing instead of the introverted sensing that at least that would be my assumption. Brady, you probably have no idea how hard it is for me to be in the moment. I have spent mm -hmm. years instead of you going up here, the ideas thing and the connections, but to be here and really be present because that's yeah. not my normal state. So I think that's where you, you and pr probably Chuck would be more rooted and grounded and y'all don't have mm -hmm. to work at being rooted and grounded. And I no, have it's just to work at not following this thing out there too far. And like Michael says, I'll be in a conversation with somebody and they would have said something and that was, and I'll go, wait a minute, wait a minute. And now I've lost the thread entirely. I'm lost in the yeah. forest. So say, okay, wait a minute. What, what got us here? Something started me talking about, and usually the other person either gets it or they make a couple of bad guesses and then I remember it and I go, oh, thread. We were talking about thread. And they'll go, yeah, yeah. And then we keep on going. Yeah. And I have to learn that's not entertaining to everyone in the known universe. It's kind of how I live, but I reign it no in corporate environments to reign that sucker in some because mm -hmm. it's not helpful if you're driving everyone else nuts. That's funny. Really great dialogue, everyone. And so I was wondering, how do you all show your informative communication style? How do you evoke, draw forth other people's input? We got a, a, a text today from a friend down the street. We had dinner with him and his wife last night. Maybe it was the day before, day before. And it was roast duck. And he sent a text that said, duck broth, question mark. And my partner, INFJ, this, uh, came into the room this afternoon after I had finished my workshop, and I didn't know about this, and, and said, I got this message from, from Alan, and it said, duck broth. And I'm listening to this thinking, yeah, like, what's the problem? <laughs> and he said, so I sent back a message, and he sent, like, a cartoon, I forget, Snoopy doing something, or I forget what it was. Oh no, he said, and when I didn't answer and within an hour, I got this and it showed Mickey Mouse tapping his foot. Uh, <laughs> and, and Alan, who sent it, is in his late 70s. He's uh, He's been a bunch of things in life. He's a therapist now. And uh, my guess would be INFP, but, but uh, possibly ISFP. So he was saying, do you have duck broth? No, he was saying, do you want it? Because we, oh. all ate, we all ate a duck with him two nights ago. But it could have been either thing. It's That's a problem with informing language. It lacks clarity unless you know the context. Because I would have thought if my next door neighbor said duck rock, question mark, they were saying, 
Oh, Help, I'm in the middle of a recipe. Do you have duck broth? You don't know the history. We trade, we cook, when we cook, we, we share things. So once every month or two, we'll cook a big dessert and give that, that to them. We just got chicken soup from him four days ago, five days ago. But um, my John was sort of irritated by the message. And, and it's, and so when we first got our training from Linda 30 years ago, well, actually also from, now that I think of it, it was also from um, Otto Krager, because he had a wonderful little routine on P's and J's talking to each other. Um, but Linda's material was immediately useful on role informative and role directive because I'd be saying things like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and his attitude was, yeah, what's your point? Yeah. <laughs> That's because informing and Joyce, the how about it is, I am on a scale of zero to five informing and zero to minus five directing. I'm on the other side of five informing by nature. So I have to work really hard to say something directing enough so that it's really clear for some people. And I was at dinner with Rob Toomey at an APTI conference. And I said, Rob, I'm, you know, I lead teams and all this. And I said, I'm really, I know how to get more directing. I said, but I'm really afraid it's going, I'm going to go too far and it's going to come off as, as too bossy or something. And Rob, bless his heart, as we say in the South, Rob totally controlled the look on his face. And he said very calmly, Carol, you need to let that worry go. You are so informing by nature. You're never going to get too directing, Carol. It's okay. And he was so freaking right. My whole struggle is getting to directing. So informing is just, it's natural. And informing is inviting. It leaves space for other people. Brady, how about you? How do you where do you fall on that? I'm, I'm in the middle of that spectrum because although I am not direct, direct, like my ENTJ father, um, I am not afraid of asking someone specifically things within the sensory. I don't, I don't do speculation. I want things to be clear. However, I'm not someone who talks really super directly. I go on little tangents. I have, um, and maybe it's my FI being in the auxiliary role. I really, I respect each individual in a moment. And I want to know what they think before I make any assumptions about what they think. So I would want them to feel heard and included in any decision I made. So if I just tell them what to do, I feel like I'm skipping over uh, what their feelings on a subject may be. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just going to agree with Brady on the uh, on the part about not being real directive and kind of being in between in that a lot of times I'll use um, sarcasm to kind of direct or try to be funny to direct so that I don't come across as being mean, but yeah. letting them know that I want to get this done. <laughs> yeah. I can relate to that. <laughs> then Michael yeah, had banter is my yeah, sure. So my um my best friend in college preferences are INTP and his wife is ESFJ. 
and I'm the godfather of their first son. But his younger brother, I got a chance to over, and so I've known them for a long time. They've moved all around the world, so there have been many years when we weren't close physically. But I, at one point, lived with Lila um, when I was right out of college, uh, ESFJ. And so she, I somehow I got copied on a text she was sending back and forth to her younger son. And I forget what she was reminding him to do, but it had something, it was something like, at thanking the the um, old the people who had just helped him, who were family friends, it was something like that. And she made a reminder, and then she and she said, "You know, it's really. Have you done that? It's really important. You know, it was very gentle and very soft. Mm-hmm. And that kind of my father was ISTJ. So when we got directive, it was not gentle, um, <laughs> and, and occasionally, and occasionally it was sarcastic. Not very often." But but the way she softened it was so her. I, I could hear her voice as she said that. So if that's directive, well, I, there are times that I can get there. <laughs> and if I work at it. But when I'm really, but if I'm really stressed and cranky, I can get directive. And then it's not particularly, you can hear that I'm stressed or annoyed. I, my voice will be flat. I won't be doing stuff but um it is a practice but i really appreciate the way esfjs can be directive and yet personal at the yes. same time personal in a in a connecting way yeah i i you, agree with that, like ESFJs are quite the good at that. and think about it it's really it's really <laughs> important to do it is a totally informing sentence there's nothing directing about that sentence that's a totally informing sentence she's using to bolster and 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 kind of uh, uh, encourage him to do it. Yeah. Excellent discussion, everyone. And so my next question for everyone is, how does your initiating style come out? So being the first to jump in. Okay, I'll start because I have a totally embarrassing story to tell here. So for <laughs> years, I would go to a conference with you know colleagues from work, or, or a, a business venture, and we'd come back together as a group and my mouth would open and I would say, I was standing over there in line with this and somehow we got to talking and then I would share with them something I'd learned. I must have said somehow we got to talking for 20 years before it freaking occurred to me. I am how we got to talking. (laughs) I was the one who was always doing the initiating, but it was like, initiating is I'm the fish and initiating is the water I swim in. So for 20 years, I was initiating all these conversations in total stranger groups. And I was, and I, my perception of it was somehow we got to talking. I was clueless (laughs) that I was the one initiating all the us getting to talking. So that's how initiating and how blind I was to the fact that I was doing all the initiating. Well, initiating isn't always um, loud and demonstrative. So, I mean, I don't like cocktail parties or professional gatherings with lots of strangers. I need something, some connection to people to want to talk. So I still remember this cab driver. I've been to Paris a number of times. I studied in France and I speak French. Um, But I I can remember on my very first trip uh, while I was in college, 
I had never seen a, what's called a volaillerie. That's a, it's a store that sells only poultry. And, um, and I got to talking with the owner and she was giving me advice on what museums to go to. And I was absolutely charmed at the age of 19 that this working class woman was sharing everything she was proud of about her, you know. So I guess I said something to her or she asked or maybe, but I don't remember saying, hey, do you want to have a chat? That didn't happen. It was much more subtle than that. Yeah. But I also remember 25 years later with my partner, this cabbie, I, I'd never had a woman cab. I haven't taken many cabs there anyway, but it was a woman. And the car could have been right out of a, not Mad Max movie, but it was very odd. It was, she had done all the extra carpeting in it that was, and her cat was in there. And, and I was in heaven as soon as I got in the car. <laughs> And we just started chatting. And I just remember how I felt about listening to her talk. I no longer remember the details. So I think I can, I think I initiate with people, but it's not like being the first one to shake. Well, actually at my dog park, when I first went there, people knew each other's dogs' names. Right. Didn't all, and, and the people who had been going there for years knew each other's names. But when a new person showed up, it took months before anyone told you their name. Mm -hmm. That's got to change. So I started when new people on the third time there or second time, I'd introduce myself. And after a while, that became a thing. But that took a conscious thought on my part. Like, I don't. So I, I think initiating sounds more bold and brassy mm -hmm. than I experience it to be mm -hmm. as an ENTC. For, for me, as an ESFP, it is pretty bold. Um, I, <laughs> when I was in school, I was the collector of new kids. So, you know, I remember being elementary school and middle school, whenever a new student would come, you know, in a class, I would just bring them in into the friend group. Um, because I, I was at one point, the new kid. I remember being in first grade and being the new kid when I moved to Washington from living in Southern California. So it was all about like, bring in the new person, make someone feel comfortable. It would be awkward being new. It's so much better if someone invites you in mm. rather than you having to awkwardly try to put yourself in a group. And it's funny because there was a, by the time I was out of high school, a lot of those new kids were all buddies, you know? So mm. it's, um, I think that's a, it's something that I know, at least for me, that is a superpower of sorts, mm. for sure. Like I've never met a stranger and you know, I feel talk comfortable talking to anybody. They could be a celebrity. They could be someone with a lot of money. They could be most popular kid in the class, you know, the most high powered position person in the company. I don't really care. You know, virtually, I'll talk to anybody. And virtually every ESFP I know is like that. Yeah. It's a, and they you know, do it well. Mm -hmm. Like you're, I, think I just, love watching it. I think there's just a lack of caring about status, you know, like it's, um, or if there is a care about status, it doesn't change how you interact with them. They're all people. I just figure everyone's a person, everyone's got feelings and, uh, let's get this started. You know, let's, uh, I know everyone's feeling uncomfortable or I know everyone is trying to analyze what to do next. So I may as well be the person who breaks that ice. Are, are you feeling uncomfortable when other people are? Uh, I'm uncomfortable with other people being uncomfortable when they're not doing anything about it. So um, I'm watching them, you know, nervously analyzing on the side. And so I want to be the person who changes that for them. Now I'm aware that there's people who don't want that and I'm not blind to that. Mm -hmm. um, 
I am aware of the people who don't want to be publicly humiliated. You know, I'm, I'm well aware of that. Um, but, you know, I do want to include people as much as possible. Chuck, how is it, how is it for you from your perspective? Um, it's kind of not to, not to the extreme as Brady, but kind of close to him in the sense that like when I was in high school, I had friends from all the different groups. Like I had friends who were brains. I had friends who were what we were called Kirby's back in the day. The guys who went to the curb to smoke during lunch. Um, jocks because I played sports. And preppies because I was a preppy and a jock. So it was all, all groups. I had friends and all, and that, and and trying to have a variety of friends, but I try to balance between having good relationships with everyone, but still wanting that desire to have intimate friends, friends that I can, you know, that are that I have deep relationships with, and that's what. So there's kind of like trying to strike the balance between having friends, but having real deep friends too and getting to know them more intimately. Yeah. So with get things going, it sounds, it, it sounds like it could get confused with FE very easily because it's very good at noticing if people are comfortable around you and how to make them more comfortable. Uh, and so there's this element where, you know, someone might confuse get things going with FE. So that's like something to look into, like if anyone ever does that mistake, you know, <laughs> I can see it's reasonable because a lot of the wording is similar there. Can, but it, can I see both Brady, I'm sorry, both on, on that vein, exactly. Both Brady and I have introverted feeling in the second position, which is how we help others. So combined if fe is there it means one of our values and we're using it to help others so we're sensing if others are i'm just wondering if that's the connection here absolutely why it looks fe but it's not yeah yeah esfps and enfps get mistyped all the time because people get confused they're like it looks like fe is it not fe because they're very warm and get things going and they use their second slot FI is a tool to mm -hmm. actually as a way to make others mood uplifted. So it can be confusing. <laughs> I would add too, because we have that childlike TE as well. We're out there doing things where, you know, we're wanting things to, to happen. And so if we're putting our values and our warmth out there, it could easily be interpreted that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mix of FI plus TE can look like Effie. <laughs> right. It depends on the person too, though. I mean, it's, uh, and I don't know, maybe if it's the, if it's the SE and the NE that people are seeing, I'm not sure. Yeah. And so the next question I have for everyone is how do you focus on being a process? I'll tackle it. <laughs> um, I guess whether I can, I can go both ways with either starting the process or being in the process. I just want to, 
I like there to be defined roles for everybody that's doing it where we have um, responsibilities that match up to our strengths. Like, and so that, like I said before, when we first started it is that, so that everybody can be engaged and everybody can be a part of, and everybody can, um, can join in and be a part of the success. And I think that um, whether I'm initiating it or if I'm in the process, I like there to be a defined role for me. What, what are you expecting me to contribute and how can I can contribute to make this be successful? Absolutely. Yeah. So you'll see with SJ types, typically there's um, a need to define goals in the sense that there needs to be clarity around the sensory sometimes. And so that the right quality and the right quantity of things can go to the right place, to the right people at the right time. And so they'll have that type of quality to them. Also, plus uh, Chuck's Air Force or Armed Forces background, it'll add to that level of structure too. There's always variation within type because there is the, you know, Linda Behrens calls the developed self. <laughs> there's the con contextual self. And, and then there's just a lot of factors that create who you are as well. So no one is ever like the sole representative of one type. So it's okay if your experiences don't completely match up with a specific type. You'll find someone who eventually has a similar experience, but not everyone is like the one person to symbolize all of that type. That's a lot of pressure to put onto a person. <laughs> and so just letting you know if there is variability where it could be coming from. And so anyone else want to share about being a process? I just want to say that is a very heady way of saying that. And I'm sure Linda could parse that out and I could go, oh yeah, I just know that I'm probably more loosey-goosey than Chuck about thinking there's a process because I'm intuiting. I, I'm, and, and, and too, Chuck, and I'm not advertising this, okay? I just think I know and I'm assuming that I'm inferring and I'm doing a lot of inferring and I've got pretty good ENFP antenna. So a lot of the times I'm really right, but I can be famously wrong, Chuck, having assumed that we were all on the same page here. So it really does help to get more detailed and specific. But the, you know, the structure for me comes from the outside and then I do my creative thing within the structure. So we don't have chaos, but I want us to have a good time doing this together and enjoy it. And I want to get a great result. But I add just enough structure so that we get to do what we need to do and flex when we need to flex. So Joyce, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think I have a, I definitely see the process piece. And like, you know, Linda would explain, just caring that things are going well with people in the room, that's being process oriented. I care passionately that people are respected and they feel they're bought in and they feel like they're on a team. And think about it, that's process. That's the what process we're using as we're uh, being together. So I don't know how to answer that question except just explain how I experience process. Chuck's nodding real hard because you're <laughs> feelings. <laughs> I'm wondering, Chuck, if you could go a little bit into how you approach people's feelings. 
real mindful of people's feelings. Um, I don't, I have a real heart and this is, and when I was in the air force, you know, you get responsibility and you have people under you and there comes a time to when you have to bring the hammer down sometimes on people because that's required of you in a military situation. But that was the hardest stuff for me to do is to get somebody one-on-one and to um, have to give them counseling or have to punish them in the air force sense. It really, I I would feel drained sometimes having to do that because I didn't want to harm them, but I knew I had to do it not only for them, but for my job and for the military. So um, I would have, when I knew it was coming, I had to prepare myself to actually do it. Now, now that I'm out of the military and I'm a civilian, but I'm working for the military and the army Corps of engineers, I can be more open with that, but I specifically chose, and and I know some of you are going to laugh. I specifically chose a position to where I wouldn't have to be a supervisor to where I wouldn't have to counsel somebody. (laughs) So I would not have to go through that anymore when I got out of being in the military. Chuck, I put myself through not one, but two coaching certification programs so that I could get training and having what I call the hard conversation. I knew that my love and my sweet spot was working with a group of people trying to work better together. But I also knew that there were going to be times that I had to have what, you know, to my Southern self was the hard conversation. And I knew I'd been trained from the cradle to never have the hard conversation. God forbid we make someone uncomfortable. So I actually got professional training to have that dialogue with people. And and yes, it's hard. Chuck's like, yeah, that's the hard part. <laughs> and so anyone else want to contribute to being in a process? Um, Michael, sorry. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go soon. Uh, I think I just got dinged for supper. I think my partner just sent me a text. Um, <laughs> we don't do that. We make fun of people who do that. <laughs> I So um, Carol was actually just talking about two different kinds of processes. There are task processes and there are maintenance processes oh, in a group. So um, I, get, I used to teach running meetings and productive meetings and things like that and uh, many years ago. And it really would get under my skin if people would start a meeting without first reviewing why we're here, not the agenda. That's not the same thing as why we're here and what we want to walk away with. And very few people do that. So on the task things, I need I I sort of see I'll, I'll wait a little bit for someone else to initiate unless I'm in charge or I'm a trainer there. But I'll try I'll speak up on that. But I don't have it. So it could be that only three people out of eight have a formal role, you know, scribe and timekeeper and chair. But as long as the other five people are handling, appreciating each other and asking questions and doing the maintenance functions, I'm fine. But I do tend to wait a little bit. I won't. My TJ friends are much likely to just start right out and get to the point. So who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And 
I at least have to see one person tell a little story or something before we get to that. So I do delay a little bit. And I am, and when I run into a group that doesn't want to do that, and I will say the worst groups are often tight people, especially with a lot of ENFPs in them. I'm thinking of one group in particular that I'm a part of. And they're like, oh, well, we all know each other. Well, they, okay, so this is what doesn't happen. They're going to blah, 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 chirpy, chirpy, happy, happy. But they're really saying, we all know each other and we know each other so well, we don't have to do that. And I'm thinking, not saying, yes, I have known you for 20 years. And that's exactly why we have to do that. Um, so you're not, you're you. not just making fun of ENFPs, right, Michael? You didn't really mean to come across like that. I, I you, would you didn't, right? <laughs> Well, because you kind of did. <laughs> I kind of did, but I, but the offenders. The point isn't about being an ENFP. It's about people making an assumption that because you have a warm relationship, you don't need to clarify roles, and that doesn't always prove to be true. And I would, and and I'm thinking of some sensitive. I won't say their types. People that I know where it's still hard to. I have to get I have to get myself to say something and and start it out right um, about figuring out are we going to have a timekeeper and uh, you know are we gonna what's the agenda you had in mind because otherwise we just get to talking. I I said uh, workshop I taught last week I said I'd learned this in the quality movement that a lot of people problems go away completely if you fix the process problem. If you have an agreed on process, like Chuck's saying, people know the roles and what's expected. Like Michael says, we don't just all get there and assume. Because handling things at a people problem level, it can be messy and uncomfortable and people avoid it. But if we get the process defined and right, then a lot of that messy, peop uncomfortable people stuff goes away because we've got clarity. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in getting an agreed on process and dimming, dimming. I learned that from dimming in the nineties. Um, and that has done me well, anything to get, because people just get in a quagmire avoiding what they think is a people problem when it's really a clarity and process problem. Or it could be clarity of vision or clarity of roles, all of those vision goals, roles, procedures. If yeah. you clean, clean up that stuff, it's a rare person who's still gonna be out of sorts with the group. Exactly. And that was, the, the, I agree wholeheartedly with what Michael and Carol both said because um, not only if you get that if you get that stuff going and you allow people to have roles that fit their strengths to where they feel comfortable and that they're not being thrown something that they're not good at, you can accomplish a lot of being accomplish a lot. You're 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 almost always going to be successful. And the other thing that um, always runs through the back of my mind um, is a, is an old saying that there's a lot good can be accomplished if nobody cares about who gets the credit. That is, that is yeah. so beautiful, Chuck. And so before Michael has to go, I was wondering if uh, we could maybe tackle really quickly how essential motivators affect your interaction style. So how does being an NT affect how get things going shows up in you, Michael? Uh, well, 
I do have a love of new ideas or interesting ideas. They don't have to be new. Um, so I will tend to maybe bring more theory into some situations than is needed or get excited. And I get excited about teaching. Um, as an NT, I am, I love puzzles. I love figuring things out. So I tend to view group process when it's not working as a little bit of a puzzle. Um, and I listened very carefully when Chuck was talking about not wanting to hurt other people's feelings because the whole tone, it was like being in touch with a beautiful piece of wood that's really rich. Um, it was not, I, that's not quite, my feelings get hurt and I have hurt other people's feelings and I don't like either of those. But the, well, the way Chuck was expressing himself was like there's some maybe part of my brain that works that way, but I don't go there instantly and don't have confidence in it. So I think my NT helps me um, be make interesting observations, but I don't think it, and it helps me be a good group member because I'm empathic and I see what's going on. But I think there's a quality of in the moment working that doesn't always work for me. Oh, and NTs are, I think, notorious, um, especially ENTPs, for occasionally having an inappropriate sense of humor. So I want to say before I have to go, I love my ENFPs, <laughs> and I particularly love the one that's in the room right now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Michael, for coming out. Sorry, I have to leave a little early. Bye, Michael. Yes. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Hi, Joyce. Nice to meet you, Brady and Chuck. Wait a minute. How do I get out of here? <laughs> I, I, I think I think I can, I'm a good juxtaposition to that as a catalyst. For me, it, I just it's the catalyst core of. Oh, it sounds corny, okay? But it's about making the world a better place and making things better for people, and it's it's all about. In the classroom, it's about, yeah, the ideas are great. I love these ideas. I've been studying this stuff for years because I love it. But seeing that light bulb go off in a student's eyes, getting an email from somebody that then LinkedIn saying, hey, happy birthday, Carol. By the way, somebody studied with me five years ago, and they'll say, by the way, I used everything you taught me five years ago. I use every day. And so what does it for me? is that it has an impact in that I get up out of bed in the morning for the chance to make somebody's life work better because of something I taught them. And if it was just one or two things I said that touched one or two people, that's okay. Because if I made somebody's life better in some small way, then I'm good. I'm good. That's why I got up out of bed in the morning. Cool. Did everyone answer the process question just to make sure? I, I didn't. Yeah, um, with the process question. So, sure, I'll uh, I'll do the process question. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit different with the whole process thing. I don't like much of a process. Um, I I'm definitely a freedom lover, and that could be my Enneagram Seven jumping out and you know doing jazz hands. But uh, you know, I I just really don't like being micromanaged. I don't like being told this is your role, therefore this is what you do. I like to adapt in the moment. 
um, and be able to have my strength be someone who fixes problems right then and there based on what's happening right then and there. But there's room for all of that. And if you do a good job of defining your roles ahead of time, and then you let people actually do their roles, it actually allows for that. So I can be free to use my strengths if someone's not hovering over me saying, well, you didn't do that right. You didn't do that right. They let me do my job start to finish. Then I think that's where I can get behind setting roles. Um, no, I like to be adaptable, flexible, do things as they come. Um, but I know that doesn't work for everyone. So that's why I'm not a boss. Because I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't want to tell people what to do because everyone's different. And I don't feel comfortable telling people how they should um, run their life. Obviously, there's times where you have to. I'm not blind to that. I'm a dad. I know that there's times you have to tell your kid, don't do that. But as little of that is possible. <laughs> yeah. And that's how your um, your SP essential motivator actually interacts with your get things going attitude, too. Because it's taking mm -hmm. a more improvisory, yeah. uh, adaptable approach, go with the right. in the moment. Right. Approach. And that's what I was going to say about that was uh, for my answer there, I was going to say the way that SP or SF relates is, you know, I very much in the moment um i'm very aware of the vibe of the room i'm very aware of what is actually there right in front of us not what could be not what once was but what is actually right there in the room and that's where my strength lies with the initiating um with the getting things going is recognizing where people actually are right there and um, helping people get past their barriers without making them uncomfortable and just by encouraging them um now of course that doesn't work on every human but i feel like that's generally a strength that i have i'm all for the freedom i hate i've always hated micromanaging that's why i say come up with the process at the beginning and if you give everybody their role they're free and if you choose specific tasks for them to do that are with that are in their wheelhouse as you would say using a baseball term or Mm -hmm. You know, picking something that they're strong at, they're going to be successful. So you're not going to have to go and tell them what to do and look at everything they're doing right then and micromanage them. They're free to be successful. And that's yeah. what I like. Yeah. That makes total sense. And so any comments on how your temperament, so SP, SJ, NF, NT, interact with the interaction style before we close off the panel? <laughs> nope, I covered that, so now I'm good. Once, twice, cool, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. You'll see Chuck's essential motivator, so the SJ temperament. You'll see how SJ interacts with the get things going interaction style because they're still like a little bit more prepared than the rest of the ENFP, ENTP, ESFP types uh, because the SJ <laughs> wants to know what to expect and be prepared using the past as an anchor to prepare for the future. And so there's going to be an element where they're a little more organized or even almost like have that um, SJ prepper attitude <laughs> to it mm -hmm. that is a little different, but it's still, you know, they want to give people freedom because they care about how people feel in the process. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that's very in common with everyone here. Yep. And so 
Thank you everyone for coming out. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. You're a bubble of sunshine energy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just want to say, Brady and Chuck. Oh my God, I'm so delighted to meet you. I have now. Yeah, you as well. I didn't know I had. So I'm yeah. just delighted to meet you both. Thank you. I so enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay, I gotta ask. You live in Durham, so are you a Carolina fan or a Duke fan? I gotta ask before we go. Go Heels. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in a Whole Foods parking lot one day, and a car with the Alabama plate came by. And well, of course, I said, waved and said, I'm from Alabama too. Got, here, here I am initiating. And they said, they said, yay. And they said, roll tide. And I leaned in very sweetly and I said, absolutely, actually, war damn eagle. <laughs> if you're from Alabama, it's either Auburn yeah. or Alabama. Yeah. But I said it very sweetly, Chuck. So they laughed instead of got offended. What part of Alabama did you live in? Or Birmingham. Somebody, oh, wow. I think it was, um, uh, uh, um, how can I be blanking on his name? Michael. Michael, who was saying his father. Didn't he say his father? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Birmingham. Yeah. And uh, oh, that's nice. my family is there. So um, I go, I, I Christmas in Birmingham. And we're, we're down in Daphne, which is down at the right by Mobile, Alabama mm -hmm. is where I live. Yeah. yeah. And Folks, get things going interaction style. <laughs> can, can I say one last silly thing, Brady? You have got mm -hmm. me absolutely convinced that Chris Pratt is ESFP. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I just, mm -hmm. he's so, and, and I saw you, I thought, oh, my God, Brady's an everyday real life Chris Pratt, and he's ESFP. Yep. <laughs> um, so my, my nephews and um, my brother and his, and his wife, my sister-in-law, they all really love Parks and Rec. And they say, I'm basically just that character in real yeah. life. And that's a bit <laughs> of an exaggeration, but it's not too far off. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you Joyce, thank you. This was delightful. I so enjoyed it. I do need yeah. to go, but I enjoyed every bit mm -hmm. of this. I hope I see you guys again. Yeah, absolutely. I, this is a pleasure. Yeah. And and Brady, like you're a real fun guy in a fun party. Like, I don't know. There's yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Whenever we're writing our what we're going to be releasing to everyone soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Brady always keeps it fun. And he always like interjects with things that keep the mood light and happy. And it makes the process not painstaking at all because you're making it fun and enjoyable. And yeah, it, don't want things to be heavy. Yeah, yeah. So you're that's yeah. a talent of you, and also get things going too. And Chuck, thanks for bringing the SJ perspective and your arm forced, you. your arm forced background. And thank you for that. Thank you for that wonderful. Valuable. And thank you for your service, Chuck. Thank you for your. My sister is retired Air Force, so thank you for your service. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for the good work you do. And thank so, thank you everyone for watching. We'll see you all in the next episode. And thank you, Joyce.
Hi everyone. Welcome to. I forgot the name of my show. <laughs> <laughs> this is for the bloopers reel. This is great. We're gonna have a great bloopers reel. <laughs>